On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers picked up a win on a quality comeback, but it's not like it really means anything, but that doesn't mean there's nothing to learn. Let's take a second to see if there's anything about this game that helps us dive deeper into this team going forward. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Merry Christmas Eve to you, and I hope you are in a place where you are either about to spend some quality time with uh, with your family or getting ready to head there soon, because this is a great time of the year to do that. If you're working, sorry, that's a bummer. I've been there. Uh, it's tough, and it stinks a lot. Um, I once had to drive six hours on Christmas Eve just for the privilege of, of working on Christmas Day. Fun stuff. Uh, I realize that the holidays can be a tough time for some some of you out there, and uh, just just know that we're thinking of you, and uh, hope uh, hope there are better times ahead. Hoping there's better times ahead for the Packers too, because as good as this win felt, I think we all understand that it may not necessarily mean anything. Well, we know it doesn't mean anything at all because it doesn't help the Packers in the standings in any meaningful way, and actually hurt them as far as draft order stuff goes. I don't want to really spend a whole lot of time worrying about the draft order on this podcast or any other one because I think that's kind of a secondary concern for the Packers. What we do want to be concerned about right now is this particular game. What was this game exactly? What happened? I had a friend who was unable to see this game due to some family commitments today, and as the Packers were driving in overtime, he texted and said it seemed like he was missing an exciting game. And I really didn't know what to say. I guess it was exciting, but in the context of where the Packers are right now and what their season is becoming and what they're doing with this season and all all those questions, it's hard to say this is really that exciting of a game, you know? I, I guess it was exciting, but it was exciting in the way that a, a well-played preseason game is exciting. Uh, the effort level on a lot of fronts maybe not super great. The quality of play on a lot of fronts maybe not super great either. And it's, again, hard to talk about this, what this means because, again, it doesn't mean anything in the short term. And long term, so much of what happens in this game has no bearing on the future. So I think it is like a preseason game in a lot of those respects. It has more really to do with a lot of the individual players and what they do and how healthy they stay as it does for the Packers as a team. So what did we learn in this one? That's always my question when I watch a preseason game, when I try to break down a preseason game. What did we learn? What is apparent about this team that wasn't necessarily the case before? I'm not sure there is anything that's that became obvious in this game that we didn't know about before, but there were three things that emerged that I think are worth talking about. First, as I mentioned in our preview piece for this game, details are still a huge problem for this Packers team. There are so many little things that result in the Packers kind of just beating themselves, and they seem to happen all the time. There is a third and one play on the Packers' ninth drive of this game that is just a perfect example. The Packers did end up scoring points on this drive, but this was a key play, and the result of this play was very frustrating. So third and one, Aaron Rodgers gets the snap, reads the defense very quickly, and everybody seems to be covered. On the 
TV broadcast, you see him kind of double clutch, fade back a little bit further into the pocket, try to throw somebody or look like he's trying to throw somebody open again, pull the ball back again, kind of drift to his right and ultimately just throws it out of bounds. The wide angle shows that as soon as it becomes clear that the first read of the play isn't going to be working, everybody breaks deep, putting themselves out of range of of Rodgers' ability to make a a decent throw, an on-time throw, and a couple of the guys almost end up on top of each other, making them really easy covers for the defense. And in past years, that feels like the sort of thing that would have been ironed out by now. Or you would have had a veteran player in a guy like Jordy Nelson who may have just known what to do to begin with and found a way to get open on a third and short play. Maybe if he was healthy this week, Randall Cobb would have been the guy making that play. That seems like something that he still can do, even if the rest of his game isn't where we would necessarily like it to be. Overall, I think this year's receiving core is more athletically gifted than any the Packers have had since 2014, 2011, something like that. Just the athletic talent, the ability that these guys have is as good as any team that I think we've seen in relatively recent memory. But they're not good football players yet, and plays like this are a good example. Put in good positions, they can make great plays for the Packers, and many of them did today. But just on a down-in, down-out basis, you see a lot of these details get mixed. Mix, missed, excuse me. They get mixed up, they go to the wrong spot, they run the wrong route, they don't run the right route quite the right way, and things just sort of fall apart. And the receivers aren't the only position group that that ends up doing things like this. They were the one that just provided the most clear example. The Packers just continue to have problems with details. And against a better team than the Jets, it would have cost the Packers the game today. Not that it matters, but you know what I'm saying. They wouldn't have been able to complete the comeback if it wasn't a team like the Jets that they were playing against. Number two... Team speed is very much still a problem for the Packers, especially on defense. The Packers have very little speed at all three levels of the defense. Their front seven, their defensive line in particular, is lacking explosive athletes. Even Kenny Clark, probably the best pure athlete of that group, is quick but not overly explosive. Dean Lowry, also kind of in that category. A very, very good, very underrated athlete. Dean Lowry, but not an explosive, fast, overpowering athlete type. The linebacking core. We all know the struggles at outside linebacker, but inside linebacker is still a problem too. Antonio Morrison runs like he has two bad knees and is carrying a piano. Blake Martinez has never been all that fast. And Oren Burks is athletic as as anybody on the roster, pound for pound, but he just doesn't play. More on that a little bit later. And then cornerbacks and safeties. Jair Alexander goes out of the game and suddenly Tony Brown is the only athlete out there. Not to say that these other guys aren't good athletes, but the corners don't have any significant speed when Jair Alexander isn't out there. There's no overwhelming athlete. There's no even above average athlete, I would say, in the safety group, uh, especially with Kentrell Bryce being being as banged up as he is. Uh, And Josh Jones can't seem to put his athleticism into this sort of focus that allows him to get to the ball quickly enough to make any kind of difference. 
the the speed was just really apparent as the Jets ran crossing routes and uh, deep digs and things like that. Routes designed to let their pass catchers run away from people. And they did. They ran away from the Packers time and time again. That is something that the Packers have got to figure out a way to address this offseason. Brian Gutekunst has made a point of adding athletes wherever he can to this Packers roster, but he still needs more. Finally, let's talk for a second about special teams. I don't believe firing somebody is going to instantly make everything better, but it would be hard to do worse, it seems, than the job Ron Zook does on a week-in and week-out basis. And I'm not calling for him to be fired right now. What's the point of firing him now? You should have fired him two or three years ago, something like that. Just on a weekly basis, the amount of big plays and big mistakes the special teams units make is incredible. And before we dive into those mistakes, let's give the caveat that we can to Ron Zook. Special teams units are all young players. He has a tough job getting all these guys who have never played professional football to work together as a single unit in four or five very different phases of this game. You've got punt and punt return. You've got kickoff and kickoff return. You've got your field goal unit, so there's your five right there. And field goal block, I guess, so six. Point being, you've got a lot of different roles to fill, and you're filling those roles with your youngest, most inexperienced players. To top it all off, the Packers have had a lot of injuries in that bottom third of the roster this year, so he's had to fill in those roles with guys who are just learning everybody's names in the locker rooms. So I get it. It's a tough job. But the Packers special teams units are a problem. Just this week, big, big problems on special teams. A kickoff return for a touchdown is about as big a problem as you can get. They had a big punt return that was called back, but it still happened. And then, of course, the big kick return late that more or less allowed the Jets to tie the game after Aaron Rodgers led what should have been a game-winning comeback in regulation. Then you've got the penalties. Just about every time a special teams unit does anything, Jamon Moore had a good kick return called back on a flag, and Kenny Albert and Rondé Barber even mentioned it kind of in a surprise, surprise sort of way. Here we got a flag as though it was not a surprise at all. And really, it wasn't because we've seen flag after flag after flag after flag after flag after flag after flag on the Packers special teams units. Just basic, basic stuff. How basic? Well, how about lining up offsides on a PAT? It happened early in the game. The Jets were lined up to kick a, a point after an extra point, and the Packers lined up offside. How do you end up lined off lined up offsides in one of the most basic formations there is in a football game? Everybody is standing around the ball. Everybody can see the ball. Nobody is more than five yards away from the ball in this formation at any time on either team. How do you line up offsides? How do you end up offsides there? Just boggles the mind. Then you've got questions with deployment. Jamon Moore seems like a nice young man, but he does not seem like a kick returner. He's always, always looked shaky, and today he finally fumbled, and it cost the Packers big. Similar question about Jamon Williams. His decision-making seems pretty sketchy, and today that decision-making, or when the, when the game happened, it's um, no longer 
game day. It actually ended up being after midnight when I recorded this for reasons that are, are nobody's fault. Uh, but his decision-making doesn't always seem good. And today that decision-making resulted in him getting blasted right in the face by a vicious, brutal shot, probably rightly flagged, but Williams probably shouldn't have put himself into in a position to get the flag there anyway. And then... On top of that, you've got the fact that Williams is a starter on defense. Who else is going to go back and play safety if Tremont Williams gets hurt? You want Josh Jones playing the Tremont Williams role at safety? I don't think so. Nobody else can just stand back there and wave for a fair catch? Nobody? It's got to be your starting safety. And last week, before he got hurt, it was Randall Cobb. Nobody else can just stand there and catch a punt? It just seems like these issues should have been sorted out by now. And I think this all but seals, if it wasn't sealed already, the fact that Ron Zook is going to be looking for new work after this season because special teams have been anything but special so far. Let's talk through a couple of the smaller storylines from this game. Announcer-wise, pretty okay until they weren't. We had Kenny Albert and Rondé Barber. Fine overall, I think until Rondé Barber started to get bored in the second half because he started making weird mistakes, uh, called Jamal Williams, Jamal Adams, uh, called Tremont Williams, Tremaine Williams, um, just started giggling randomly out loud at one point. That was kind of weird. Just an odd pairing. And I think Kenny Albert deserves a little bit better there. I'm not the world's biggest Kenny Albert fan. I find his voice a little bit grating. But as far as just pure announcer stuff, I think he does a pretty good job. He just gets stuck with the bum of a color guy. So, too bad for him, I guess. But uh, overall, fine at best, I think, from the broadcast crew today. Much better than fine, though, Kyler Fackrell had a really good game again. He picked up another sack and was also strong on the edge on some running plays. He's been an enjoyable storyline to watch unfold this year. And really, I think it's his run defense that is uh, that is the real surprising development here. The, the pass rush, I think, was always there in games. You always saw the storylines about how he never won the one-on-one reps in training camp or whatever. For whatever that's worth, he wasn't winning any of them. But in games, he seemed to do okay. And this year, the stats have started to match that a little bit better. But against the run, he was always a liability. But that hasn't always been the case this year. And I think that's been interesting to see. Strong running. Can't mention strong running without talking about Jamal Williams. He looked very strong again. I said last week might have been peak Jamal Williams. Actually, I think it might be this week. Uh, With 95 yards, he had the second highest rushing total of his career. His 6.3 yards per carry were the highest or was the highest average in a single game of his career. He also had 61 receiving yards, and it was the third time in his career that he has cracked the 60-yard mark. Highlight of his day had to be the rushing touchdown. Just a thing of beauty there, both in design and in effort. Both phenomenal. Great stuff there. And I'm glad to see some rewards coming him coming his way. Um, I think, you know, I've been down on Jamal Williams a little bit of late. And I think rightly so. He hasn't been great overall this season. But um, you can't deny his effort, I don't think. And it's nice to see 
effort get rewarded periodically. Someone who should not be rewarded for their effort because their effort was bad today, great segue, uh, were the refs. Uh, Refing seemed to be pretty bad both ways, and the Jets really got bit hard today. Um, This is a great game if you ever hear someone or are inclined yourself to make a variation of the argument that you just have to be better than the refs. You got to be, you got to not put the refs in a position where they can have an impact on the outcome of the game. Well, that may sound nice, but just look at how this game played out. Some of the calls that the Packers got in this game directly affected the outcome of the game. And they're the judgment call variety type stuff. The pass interference calls, hands to the face, holding, stuff like that. The Jets were on the negative outcome side of a lot of those calls. And a lot of those calls, there's not a whole lot you can necessarily do a whole lot about. Sometimes it's just they're going to call it or they're not going to call it. And unfortunately for the Jets, they decided to call it today and it really benefited the Packers. I'm kind of of the, the mindset that those things tend to even out long term. You tend to be on the receiving end of a lot of bad calls and you tend to be on the beneficial side of a lot of bad calls. It just it just happens because refs are human and they do make bad calls sometimes. But to me, the most egregious bad call today is the dumbest term I think I you ever hear a ref regularly say. They'll announce from time to time, and it's only a few guys that do this, but it's incorrect. They will say, they will announce a penalty call as, quote, illegal use of hands to the face. There is no such thing as that. Even if there is such a call, it should not be announced that way. There is really no legal use of hands to the face, at least not in the situation where a ref would be making an announcement about it. There are situations where a ball carrier can stiff arm somebody to the face mask, but those are are very unusual instances. And whenever you're having a hands to the face call, there is no never going to be an an announcement of a legal use of hands to the face. The call is illegal use of hands, hands to the face. That's what you're supposed to say. And it really bothers me when refs say illegal use of hands to the face because it implies that there would be a legal announcement that they would be making about hands to the face. I will come down off my soapbox now. On defense, we mentioned earlier the lack of overall team speed for the Packers and Oren Burks being a guy who could potentially solve that issue. Well, we didn't see a lot of Oren Burks this week, and I thought that was a little bit odd because Mike Pettin was asked about Oren Burks on Thursday of this week, and Mike Pettin specifically said that he would be getting more playing time this week. But although we don't have the snap counts yet, we can see that Oren Burks put up a completely blank stat line. No tackles on defense, no assisted tackles on defense, no other stats on defense, no tackles on special teams. And again, we don't know the snap counts, but you have to think it wasn't very much. And I'm starting to wonder why and what it says about him going forward. If you just look at Antonio Morris in run, again, he looks like he's in pain. How can a third-round pick not be playing ahead of a guy like that? 
Nothing against Antonio Morrison. He was a pretty known commodity when the Packers traded for him. They knew who he was. They knew what he was getting or what they were getting. But Burks can't get ahead of a guy like that? Why? Why? That's odd. That's unusual. And it can't be a good thing for Burks going forward that he isn't getting snaps on defense ahead of a guy like Antonio Morrison in games that don't mean a thing. Same thing goes for Jamon Moore. Right away, Jake Kumaro seems to be taking all of the snaps that would otherwise be going to Jamon Moore. And he's doing good things with it. I think there is a case to be made that Moore still is worth exploring. I mean, he's going to be cheap next year and the year after that until his rookie contract runs out. And he was a fourth-round pick for a reason. But you would think he would be getting at least a few more opportunities in games where it really doesn't matter what the outcome is. Just see what he can do out there. At least a little bit more than returning kicks. Some positive stuff, though. Um, Speaking of pass catchers and the offensive in general, we've been tracking explosive plays this year so far. Well, all year. Explosive plays um, are runs of 12 or more yards or receptions of 16 or more yards. We track those numbers because those are the numbers that we have uh, confirmed from a variety of sources are used by a variety of NFL coaches. Um, there is some pretty good evidence that explosive plays on a drive have a high correlation between, uh, or a high correlation with that drive ending in a score. So you want to get those explosive plays or chunk plays as they're often called as often as you can. And today the Packers were getting them pretty often because eight different players had an explosive play, seven different pass catchers, plus Aaron Rodgers on a couple scrambles were putting up plays that met those criteria. So that was interesting to see. Also interesting to see was an interesting decision by Joe Philbin not to go for it on 4th and 10 in New York Jets territory. In fact, I think it tells me everything I need to know about Joe Philbin being the Packers' next head coach, specifically that I don't want him to be. This decision worked out well for the Packers because they ended up winning the game, but I don't think we can judge this one by the result. In this situation, the Packers were down 35-20 with about 10 minutes to go. And instead of going for it, trying to pick up a first down and eventually a touchdown, he decided to kick a field goal, which to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because making it 35-23 to really doesn't help you out all that much. You still have to get two touchdowns to get ahead of your opponent there. And you can't tie it up with the touchdown and a field goal. I realize that, you know, not getting it there still leaves you down 15 points, but the difference between being down 15 and being down 12 is not that much. And as we saw, the Packers didn't end up taking the lead, but that's kind of playing the outcome. And things really broke the Packers' way down the stretch there. And I don't think you can play the results when you're evaluating a decision. I don't think it was a good decision there, and I would like the Packers' next head coach to, well, first not end up in that situation, but um, be a little bit more aggressive if he does. 
Speaking of aggression, Aaron Rodgers, very aggressive, very strong down the stretch for the Packers today, and I think he should get credit for two game-winning drives because game-winning drives are a stupid stat. And if they're going to be stupid, they might as well be stupid in a way that actually measures a guy's impact on the game. Aaron Rodgers has lost out on a lot of game-winning and game-tying drives in his career because the defense has gone up to give scores after he does what he needs to do then the Packers either don't get the ball back at all or get the ball back with so little time left that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a chance to mount that game-winning or game-tying drive. But today, he had drives that put the Packers ahead of the Jets in a game-winning situation twice. One, the Jets were allowed to get back in it, in large part due to the Packers' special team situation being terrible. The other obviously ended the game. If you're counting drives that have the potential to be game-winning, Rodgers had two. And it's not his fault at all that only one of them ended up being a game-winning drive. Speaking of game-winners, as far as I can tell, Devontae Adams is the only player in the NFL to have overtime touchdowns in each of the last two seasons. He had a game-winner last year against the Browns, and he has another game-winner today against the New York Jets. I'm starting to think this Devontae Adams guy is pretty good. How about you? Where do the Packers go from here? What's up next? Well, we're going to have the start, sit, Rodgers question all this week. To me, if you're looking at this from a leadership perspective, like Rodgers said, and all of those things, kind of feels like he proved what he needs to prove today, doesn't it? Yep, you can be a leader. You, You got the respect of everybody in the locker room, and you're doing what you need to do, and you're great, and all that. Maybe it's time to lead your way over to the bench, and just not get hurt in this week 17 that 17 game that doesn't mean anything at all again it doesn't mean anything uh the packers whether they start or sit rogers or whatever will be finishing out their season at noon at lambeau field next sunday against the detroit lions that's what you can be preparing for between now and then and you're gonna have to do it a little bit without us programming notes for this week as you know it is the week of christmas here's what we're up to This episode that you are listening to right now is going to have to tide you over until Friday. We will have our normal preview episode coming out this Friday, but no Wednesday episode this week. We're going to be spending some time with our family, and I hope you have a chance to do some of that with your family. If you would like to spend some time with your family listening to episodes of Blue 58, I guess you just have to go into the back catalog a little bit. Um, we'll be spending time doing stuff around the house with our family, eating way too much unhealthy food. And again, I hope you have a chance to do that. Um, you'll just have to do it without us, uh, at least in terms of podcast episodes between now and Friday, but we'll be back for the preview on Friday, the last preview of the 2018 season seems to have been a very long season, but a very short one all at the same time. And there's lots of exciting stuff to look forward to in the offseason, and we'll be doing some of that. Some great stuff, I think, for you uh, between now and the start of next football season, which is only about seven months away. Not too bad. We can get there together. Good stuff, don't you think? I think so. Let's head off into Christmas Eve and Christmas together. Uh, I will be thinking of you all. Thank you so much for making this a great year so far for the Power Sweep and for Blue 58. I've had a blast doing all this stuff, and I hope you have as well. Uh, We'll check in with you again on Friday. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Be safe, be healthy, be well. Uh, Travel safe if you're doing any of that. 
We'll check in again, as I said, with you on Friday. This has been episode 142 of Blue 58. I've been your host, John Meerdink. Thank you very much for listening. Blue 58! Hut!